If you're looking for a podcast to break down all the possibilities coming up on the new Golden Bachelor. What? Yeah, they they've they've got this they've got a new version of the Bachelor called the Golden Bachelor and he's this 71-year-old grandfather. Ew. But he looks like he's he looks like he could pass for 50. If not 40. I, I ew. At least in the publicity picture I see. Why 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 would you? Well, why why would you? Is he golden because he's old or yes. is he golden because he's rich? Well, it could be both. Or is he golden because of a fetish? That I don't know. But Good night, I, everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think I, I. I think it's because he's older than the average contestant on The Bachelor. I, God, just because you can doesn't mean you should. I mean, well, I don't. I'm not a fan of the regular Bachelor or the regular Bachelorette or any of this other matchmaking reality crap. I don't disagree. So we're not that podcast. Definitely not. No. We are, however, comedy. Tragedy. Marriage. Marriage. <laughs> well, that was abrupt. Sorry. I just, I had a moment in my feelings and uh -huh. I just, I've been holding them in all day. And oh, so. Yeah? About the Golden Bachelor? Just feelings. Oh, okay. Just holding them in because humans and oh. because um, nice book lady oh, yeah. and because, you know. Welcome to Comedy Tragedy Marriage, a yeah, podcast yeah. where a longtime married couple takes turns each episode selecting a movie, pod, uh, podcast, a movie, documentary, or a TV show to watch. You've talked about podcasts on here, though. I have, but yeah. they haven't been the focus of the episode. Well, but th that could be a thing. We talk about books, too. We should talk about them more. We should talk about books and podcasts more. Well, Maybe. if I start something new, I might. Would you let me finish this? Because I... I got a, I got a rhythm. I got a pattern. I've got more feelings. Sorry. All right. Okay. Well, do like you did when you were a child and, and mash them down until they come exploding out. Bring me time. cookies and I will. I'll happily go get you cookies. All right. Long time married couple takes each week. Let me let me let me do this. You do this every time. Okay. This is comedy tragedy marriage, a a podcast where a long time married couple takes turns each week deciding what to watch: a movie, a TV show, a documentary, something. We watch it and then we talk about it and then we share what we talk about with you, whether we liked it, loved it, loathed it. And we give it a rating in stars or um, flaming giant things that may pertain to what we watched or whatever. And then we talk about like what other stuff we've been watching, reading, listening to, whatever. So um, he is Stan the Movie Man. And this is where you tell all the places where people can stalk you. Um, yes, you can uh, follow Stalk me. him. Follow me on Twitter, at Movie Man Stan. And there goes this device into yes. the floor. Follow the podcast, uh, also on Twitter, at CT Marriage. I am also on uh, Threads, uh, at Movie Man Stan. No, 
at Stan the Movie Man, and also on Spoutable at Stan the Movie Man. Uh, you, you need can... to write all this stuff down. You've got you you're so many places and you're so many handles and. Well, maybe, just maybe, if I wasn't being interrupted, I could get through it all. Yeah, that's the sound of silence. Yes. Um, spoutable. Spoutable at movie man. At stand the movie man. Uh, you need to write it down. You can also, <laughs> if you have a suggestion for us uh, for a movie to watch, you can certainly send that to us in an email, comedytragedymarriage at gmail.com. Tell us what it is you think we should watch and why you think we should watch it. Uh, you can also follow, subscribe, rate, review on all of the podcast platforms. Uh, if you do it on Spotify, though, it helps us out the most. Whew. That felt like more of a struggle than it should have. Uh, joining me, as always, is that one over there. I am Maud, the enchanted fairy tale broad. Oh, my goodness. Ding, ding. Yes, please feel free to tinkle on somebody else's time. Um, we watched this week, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Quentin, it's the fairy tale. Yes, Quentin Tarantino's film uh, from 2019. It tells the story of a uh, sort of on his last legs... Um, uh, movie star. Uh, my phone is, for whatever reason, not cooperating. Is it wigging out? Well, it's see, it's it's that way, uh -huh. and I don't want I want it that way. But it's not going it's that not way going when you do that way. way. Oh, Have well. you locked it? N no, it fell off, and and all right. Maybe it locked itself. Anyway, uh, twenty nineteen comedy drama film, uh, Quentin Tarantino's ninth film. He says he's only going to make ten. And he has, uh, the tenth film is called The Critic. Um, but... I think he's going to backpedal on that total number of... He's maybe. not old enough to, to have his magnum opus yet. Mm, some would call Pulp Fiction his magnum opus. Yeah, I think he can do better. Okay. Um, he's got time. Uh, the film is set in Hollywood. Uh, it's 1969. And Hollywood actor Rick Dalton, who is played by Leonardo DiCaprio, is concerned that his career is coming to an end. He was in a Western TV series in the 1950s uh, called Bounty Law, and he left that series in order to make movies. He made a couple. Um, he was apparently briefly considered for um, The Great Escape, which uh, turned out to go to Steve McQueen. Yeah. Apparently he's still a little salty about that. And now, uh, since he's not getting regular movie roles, he is doing one-shots as the villain on uh, various TV shows. He has um, a buddy played by Brad Pitt, who is uh, named Cliff Booth. Cliff uh, is has been his stunt double uh, on his movies and TV shows, mm -hmm. but he's not doing as much of that. 
And also, Cliff has some baggage that he brings with him. Uh, he killed his wife. Allegedly. Well, he is definitely responsible for his death, for her death. Now, whether he did that on purpose, because we don't actually see the death, or whether it was an accident, as he apparently claims. But uh, she gets shot with a spear gun while they're out on a boat in the middle of the ocean. I missed that altogether. Well, you don't, like I said, you don't see it, but it was a, a brief flashback that occurs when they are talking about how the guy, the um, uh, guy's wife on the Green Hornet, who's the costume person, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. doesn't like him. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why she doesn't like him. Um, so anyway. Uh, uh, but they've been best bud compadres since then. Yes, and, and, and he's... he's He fixes up stuff around, yes. you know, Leo DiCaprio's house. Yeah, he's, 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 his, he's, his, driver. he's his gopher and his driver. Uh, and uh, Cliff has this uh, pit bull named Brandy. She's awesome. She is probably one of the best people in the movies. She is. Um, and, uh, he, and the reason he drives uh, Dalton around is because of his DUI arrest. Um, yeah, because um, Mr. Rick Dalton apparently is a sloshing drunk from what yes. we see. Um, and, and living kind of hard. Yes. Now, he's, uh, Dalton has a guest spot on a TV show called Lancer, which is a real TV show. Yeah, with this, he, they were working on the pilot. Yes. And uh, he's going to play the bad guy again. And uh, so Cliff drops him off at, on the set mm -hmm. and takes the car. And there he runs into a, uh, uh, Cliff Booth does, runs into a hitchhiker named Pussycat. He's been seeing this hippie chick around Los Angeles in various and sundry places. Like the first time we see her, she's her hippie friends have like purloined a dumpster and somebody, you know, gets a loaf of bread and it's like sweet loaf of bread. And Pussycat is carrying like a gallon jar of pickles. Mm -hmm. And so and but he's he keeps running into them. And eventually, um, she's hitchhiking, and he, he finally picks her up. Yes. And, no pickles. Uh, no, no. She's not carrying the pickles at that time. And he drives her to Spawn where Ranch. they live, Spawn Ranch. She is one of Charlie Manson's family. Um, and we briefly see Charlie when he goes to the home of... Um, Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate. Uh, Sharon Tate is played by Margot Robbie. Um, and he is looking for the previous residents of the house who uh, were uh, part of the Beach Boys because he wanted a singing career. Yeah, that's a whole nother discussion for another time because yes. they they're like the, he creeped the Beach Boys out because <laughs> they there were some sessions, some recordings that happened, but it, the, he, he was too woo woo for them. Well, and there are people who say that his music isn't bad. Manson's music. Yeah. 
there are recordings. Yeah. Um, if you want to go looking for them of of his songs. Yeah. You know, um, I I'm, don't want that juju in my house. No. Um, so there's an altercation between Cliff and one of the one of the Manson family boys. Um, when they just don't, for whatever reason, take a liking to Cliff because he wants to, to, to see George Spawn. George, I don't remember if that's his name, but the, Miss, the Spawn, the, the guy who, who runs, um, the Spawn Ranch, the Spawn Ranch, and yeah, George Spawn, <clears throat> where he and, um, Rick Ball, Rick Dalton used to shoot things back yes. in the day. And he, he, one of these um, kids, a um, guy named Clem, sticks a knife in the tire um, of, of the car that Cliff is driving, which doesn't belong to him. Yeah. And, and that's so. A bad, it's a bad idea to piss off a stuntman. There's a rather violent confrontation between uh, Cliff and Clem, very one sided. Um, you had it coming. But I, I actually didn't have a problem with that. No. So anyway, um, Cliff uh, is is having trouble keeping his line straight on in one particular scene on this. Uh, not Cliff. Rick. Uh, Rick is having trouble keeping his line straight on one particular scene. Um, and there's this little girl who is a uh, the daughter of one of the characters uh, in the show. And... Thank you. Uh, and she's very method. She doesn't like to be referred to uh, as anything other than her character name when she's on set. She's eight. Yes. And... Um, but she's a wise little shamaness. She, she is. Um, and um, actually, I, I enjoyed the shooting of the TV show scenes as much as pretty much anything else in the movie. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, but this, this encounter with the Mansons, Manson family, uh, is going to come back later on, um, as, um, they, the Mansons are sent out on their mission by Charlie. And as we all know, that mission is to kill the people who live in the in the house on Cielo Drive, mm -hmm. um, which is Sharon Tate, and if he's there, Roman Polanski. Um, but because he's Quentin Tarantino, things go in a different direction. Much like with Inglorious Bastards, when you know the uh, the American troops kill Hitler and the you know whole. Uh, high command of the German military at that movie theater. Uh, spoiler alert for Inglorious Bastards, but we talked about it um, on a season three episode of Comedy Tragedy Marriage. Uh, things things change. Uh, history has changed in the course of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, <clears throat> I actually think that um because of the and I I don't have any real you know reference to back this up but um it kind of seemed to me like 
the Manson cronies were actually sent up Cielo Drive to um, get even with Cliff for, you know, beating up Clem. They, the, the But Manson, they didn't know he was staying there. The Manson family in the car is, is sent to kill Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski in the house. They only change their mind when Cliff, uh, when, um, Rick. Dal when Rick Dalton comes out and tells them to move their car. That's when they have that conversation about we should kill him because TV taught us how to kill and he that's all he does in his movies and TV shows. Yeah, yeah. That So that's when they decide that they're going to kill them uh, instead. Well, him instead. They they don't know that Cliff is staying there. They just know that the guy who told him to leave was was Rick Dalton. And he was rude, so he's yes. got to go. Yes. So, and as an example of somebody who taught them how to kill in their drug-addled, uh, you know, not very uh, well-fed minds. Oh God, they all need to eat a biscuit. Well, that and take a bath. They're they're living on weed and <clears throat> dreams and the occasional LSD. and the occasional pickle. Yeah. Uh, well, they're dumpster diving for food. That's, That's no nourishment. First. Yeah. Anyway. We waste a lot of food in this country. Anyway. We waste a lot of time on this podcast. That's true. <laughs> uh, but um, the movie was somewhat controversial for a couple of different things when it came out. The first was the depiction um, of Bruce Lee. Oh, yeah. We, d yeah. Now. That, that, yeah. That's kind of cringe. Um, Bruce Lee is... Uh, Cliff has, has gotten some day work um, on an episode of the Green Hornet because Rick is going to be the bad guy on the Green Hornet and um, Cliff, they've, they've begged um, for Cliff to be allowed to do uh, stunt work for mm -hmm. Cliff if he's needed. So they put him in the wig and the uh, and the tuxedo, and they show <laughs> they show Bruce Lee, the actor playing Bruce Lee, uh, holding court in the uh, outside in the in a parking area. Oh, pontificating! Yes, about how um, he appreciates boxing because it, and Muhammad Ali because if uh, the boxers in the ring are actually trying to hurt each other. Mm -hmm. Whereas in his karate tournaments or, or his martial arts tournaments that he's participated in, they're not allowed to do certain things and it's more like dancing to him. And somebody asks if you were to uh, be in a fight with Muhammad Ali, who would win? And after some dancing around it, he says, I would cripple him or, or something along yeah. that line. And Cliff laughs. And then they, they wind up challenging each other to a fight. And um, Cliff gets the best of Bruce Lee um, and holds his own for a second part of the fight. Uh, and I, I stepped in something in um, 
on Twitter about and people were including Bruce Lee's family. When you reviewed it, when you reviewed it before, well, after the or, movie had come out, yeah, it didn't have anything to do with my review because a nobody reads them, but <laughs> two, um, you know, there were some complaints from Bruce Lee's family about the way he was portrayed as being this cocky, you know. Well, and. <sighs> Yeah, that and um, almost um, a caricature. Yes. Um, it was, it, the way he's portrayed in the film is like he was, he was a character in a movie. I mean, as in he, the way he behaved, even though that was supposed to be Bruce Lee on his off time, but his manner of speaking yes. was very, you know, uh, stilted and formal. Um, and very, what we think of as stereotypically Asian. A little bit. Yeah, um, it was it was a caricature. Yeah, and... Um, so what did you step in? I Well, I replied to somebody who was talking about how, you know, it, it, the family was complaining about it. And, you know, I, I, it, <clears throat> it has taken some time, but I, I eventually learned that if you don't need to say anything, don't say anything. Um, even if you're go trying to be helpful, and this really wasn't trying to be helpful, this was, this was mildly snarky. What'd you do? Uh, well, somebody was uh, re was amplifying that the family didn't like it, and I wrote, they realize it's just a movie, right? Oh God! Yeah, and that wasn't that wasn't the right thing to say. It wasn't, and I got pretty piled on. To the point to where I muted the replies. So, yeah. That wasn't my shining moment on Twitter. Um, I, I, I like to think I've had more shining moments than not shining moments. Is Twitter really where people go to shine anyway? Well, as I have frequently said, you know, I'm a fame whore. And if I can get uh, uh, some likes on a post that that sort of stokes my ego. So, um... I have found Twitter to be sort of acidic and pointy. And, um, I mean, I have, you know, I look at Twitter. I rarely twit anything. Um, but I have friends on Twitter. You and I have a mutual friend on Twitter, mm. our real real crime guy, guy Steve Huff, mm -hmm. um, who I knew back in the day. Um, but anyway, um, Twitter is more political than I tend to want to be usually. So it's not my, um, it's not my social of choice most well, of the time. It, it depends on who you follow. Yeah. You can create your own bubble mm -hmm. to insulate you from all of that. But since a certain person took it over, um, there there's a, a a thing that pops up on your Twitter now. <coughs> Penis rocket. Oh. Um, excuse uh, me. Actually, <sighs> that's that that's uh, that's the other guy, who's penis rocket. Oh. Um. Uh, 
but there's there's a, a thing there's a thing on your posts on your timeline called for you mm-hmm. as opposed to following mm-hmm. so you only see people who are following or people who re people you're following who repost other things uh, for you could be anything for instance Lauren Boebert uh, is at the top of this this particular timeline. Oh God! Um, and you know, people that I do not follow would never follow, and you know, they show up on for you. Yeah. Uh. So. Uh. And apparently, I'm being followed by a uh, fake sex thing. Oh, maybe not. Well, congratulations. Maybe, well, yeah, probably. What, you think it's a real sex thing? Yeah, no. Uh, oh, remind me to tell you something later, too. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I don't know if that's fake or real. But you get, you get a lot of that, too. So, anyway. Um... Anyway. Yeah, so I learned my lesson on that one. Shining Twitter shining moment, yes, not so much. Not so much. And I have since learned that even if you're trying to be helpful, think about what you're going to post, how it will be taken because you can't, you know, intent is difficult to read in text. That's true. To or detect in text unless you make it blatantly clear, which for people like Lauren Bobert, it's blatantly clear. Um well, when I reply to them. Venus rocket. Yeah, well, yeah. Different kind. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Please don't send us hate mail. Or do. Tell I, Stan you love him. Perfectly fine with He's it. He's a fame whore. Do uh, Stan a solid. I'll just block you. you know, so that'll be fine. I'm whoever's trying to just gonna send say, me hate mail. Block me. You only do it once, dude. Hmm. Anyway. So anyway. Uh, but yeah, um, course of history's changed. Um, I kind of didn't like it. I had a problem with the ending at first because, yeah, I don't have a problem with them going back in time and killing Hitler. Uh, if I had a time machine and could do it myself, I would do it. Uh, there may be uh, horrible unintended consequences Mm -hmm. from that, but, um... We'll give it a shot and see. You did watch eleven twenty two sixty three with me, yes, so I did. you found out how that whole situation turned out. Right. So um, not I, so much good. I would, you know, I, but you don't know unless you try. And then he went back and fixed it. True. Uh, so if I were presented that scenario, I would try it, and if it's not good, I'd go back and undo it. Assuming you had the wormhole. Option. Well, if it's if it's the scenario of eleven twenty two sixty three, I'm going to walk through that door again if things have gone horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah. So, you know. But in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood world, you don't have that wormhole. Well, no, no. And so that's if you not go back saying. and change the thing, and it's it turns out horrible, you have no way to fix that. Okay. We're talking about two different things. I, I'm I'm saying that when he did it in 
Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards, yes. I was perfectly fine with it because everybody, if they had the opportunity, would do would it. Go back in time and kill Hitler. Uh, I, I, you know, maybe uh, people would go back in time and prevent the death of Sharon Tate. I'm sure her family would prefer mm -hmm. that, as well as the families of the other victims and the murders that occurred the next night. Yeah, the LaBiancas. Yes. Or. However, the night however before, long after. the night—it was after. Yeah. Anyway, Tate was first, and Labianca were later. Um, but um, you didn't I, like the ending reason, to begin for with. For some reason, that just sort of hit me the wrong way. For instance, Sharon Tate's family is still alive. Some of her family, uh, her sister specifically, who went had, always goes to the parole hearings mm -hmm. for all those people uh, when they come up. Um, and I don't know. There was just something about it that I didn't care for. Um, now on this rewatch, it was like, okay, that's fine. I mean, the movie overall, I, I have a positive perception of. Um, I, I, I think Brad Pitt is great. Yeah. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio is great. Yeah. Um, one thing as this very insecure actor who's facing his 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 declining career with a very credible southern accent by the way mm -hmm. grew up in Missouri mm -hmm. so um, he um, has a sojourn in Italy making spaghetti westerns mm -hmm. and while he's over there he gains 15 pounds from eating all the pasta and drinking all the wine and stuff picks up a wife along the way as well mm -hmm. um, but they put him in like a long wig. Like a shaggy, yeah. And he looks so much like Jack Black, it's terrifying. <laughs> he really, that, yeah. he really, really does. And yeah. I'm not being I'm totally stone cold serious. Yeah. He looks like Jack Black. Um, so that's just, you know, that's one of my big takeaways mm -hmm. from the film. But yeah, uh, Brad Pitt is not afraid to be tongue in cheek with his with his bad self. And um, turns out Leonardo DiCaprio is not either. I haven't really seen much of either of their work. Um, um, so, but um, latter years for both of them, I'm I'm okay with them um and Pitt always had these boyish good looks oh he his, was like they he like he, chicks were having hot flashes all over back he, in the day he bordered on pretty um, oh he didn't border okay he lived in pretty um but in this film he's weathered his face is showing its age. Yeah, but when he takes off his shirt, he he's still nice under there. Right. And he, he, frankly, he's, you know, the weathered, craggy, um, more mature Brad Pitt is preferable in my universe. Well, that's sort of what I was getting to, because you don't like... <clears throat> I don't like pretty men. You don't like pretty men. I like manly men. Yes, you like men that, that look like men that look like they've got some miles on them, to a degree. Miles, experience, um, dude who could you know 
throw down in the kitchen. For for example, I was I was really concerned about what that example was going to be. I well, you know, because if you were to say, chop down a tree or or put brakes on a car, I was going to no no no, you married the wrong man. No, I married the right man. Okay. Um, I can chop down a tree, if it's a small tree. Got to okay. be small. Well, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to tackle those two. Oh no God, chance. no! Um, uh, I would, I would end up killing someone. I don't like pretty men. I like manly men. I like men who look like men. I don't like skinny men. And Brad Pitt in this movie looks like a man. Looks like a man. He looked like a man. Um. So, you know, aside from some. Uh, oh, also, there was some complaints about the violence against women, uh, specifically the two Manson girls. They had it coming. I don't disagree with you, but the uh, level of destruction the 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 two characters face, like. If you're gonna throw down with a stunt man and you're well, they not, don't know he's you're a no stunt man. well, but still, if you're gonna like go on a homicidal binge, and you know you you you're that's on you, dude. Mm -hmm. I I don't disagree, uh, but it's a, still it's a Tarantino film. There's gonna be violence. There's gonna be language. There's gonna be all manner of objectable stuff. Yes. Um. So if you go, I mean, if you're going to be all delicate and stuff, don't watch it. Well, yeah. But um, if you're, if you can understand that this is a Tarantino film and that some of this is a given, then you can go in and enjoy the experience. Plus, Tarantino loves exaggerated violence. Uh, from, uh, you know, the the standoff uh, in Reservoir Dogs to the uh, guy's head exploding in the back seat in Pulp Fiction. Uh, Two movies I've <clears throat> not seen. Yes, to, um, you know, anything that happens <laughs> in Django Unchained um, to, you know, the violence here. It mm -hmm. is, it is... Over the top. It is, a, and, you know, in uh, Inglorious Bastards and carving swastikas into the foreheads of uh, Nazis that they've captured that they haven't killed just so that after they the war and they take off their German uniform they will still be identifiable as Nazis. Which Charles Manson also did on his forehead. And you could see that scar until the day he died. Mm -hmm. um, so you know exaggerated violence is just Tarantino's calling card. That's, One of them. That's his signature. One of them. Um, and, you know, he he really gets into it. Uh, and, you know, the way the um, the way Cliff dispatches one of the Manson girls and the way the way Rick does the, the other the one. The way Rick that finishes was, off the other one. That was poetic ballet <laughs> at the end of that. It yeah. was beautiful and 
yeah, hate me if you must, but it it just it was cool. Oh, I, no, I don't hate you. Um, the film uh, was made for a, a budget of between ninety and ninety six million dollars. It made three hundred seventy seven point six million dollars. Decent. It was the first non Weinstein brothers movie that Tarantino had made. Uh, and of course, it included cast members that, um, you know, are part of his stable, uh, including Zoe Bell. She was the Australian-sounding woman who was married to Kurt Russell's character. Mm -hmm. um, she is a, a stunt person and has appeared in several of uh, his films. Uh, Kurt Russell also has been in, in some of uh, Tarantino's movies. Uh, uh, Luke Perry's final film. Uh, he plays a small role. Yeah, he's um, on stage, on on stage, on screen for like a minute and a half, maybe. It um, it uh, received some. It received good reviews. Um, it let's see here. It uh, has an eighty-five on Rotten Tomatoes, and it has a, an eighty-three. On Metacritic, that's very close, which indicates uh, universal acclaim. Yeah. Um, so we've been relatively positive about the movie. Yeah. What rating do you give Once Upon a Time at Hollywood? Um, I know that you were sort of uncertain how I would receive this. Mm -hmm. um, I really liked it. Oh, cool. um, I give it eleven T fully fueled flamethrowers oh my goodness uh yeah i'll give it five stars as well i think i just had you know the stick up my butt or something about maybe tarantino oh there's another thing <laughs> you may have noticed all the dirty feet that were on display uh sharon tate when she's watching uh the matt helm movie in the that theater. she's in yes that she's in and they uh, actually use Sharon Tate footage. Yes, they didn't try to digitally insert her into the movie, which was good. Uh, and she takes off her little white go-go boots mm -hmm. and is sitting with her feet up, and her feet are dirty. Yeah. Uh, and then the uh, uh, pussy cat gets in well, Cliff's car. She's a dirty, filthy hippie, though. Well, they're so walking her around feet barefoot. Are, yeah, her feet are going to be filthy. But her feet are prominently displayed. Yeah. There is. Um, belief that uh, Tarantino, maybe more than a belief, um, has a foot fetish. And he always manages to include some shot of a woman's feet. Hmm. I'll be looking for that now. Now, whether that is do they always have to be dirty or just naked? Uh, I don't know. Okay. I don't know if he's got a thing for dirty feet or if he has a thing for feet. Because a lot of foot fetishists like really weird, dirty, gross, wallowing in mud, honey, bees well, crawling all over your feet, that that's kind a of thing. Squish fetish more than anything else you're talking about. But. Squish fetish? Yes, yes. Like, they, they like the sound of when they 
step on, yeah, that sort of juicy, squishy noise. Uh, they like that. And if it's with feet, that's all the better. I'm not going to ask you how you know this. I've, I've watched things, not those things, but I have watched, you know, explanations. And you listen to Savage Love and they talk yeah. about all that weirdness. Don't know that he's ever talked about a squish fetish. I know he's talked about vor feet, but... Vor? Vor. It's uh, the desire to be consumed or to be made... Sm small in comparison to your partner as like she's a giant and you're this you know little and crushing your head crushing your head oh god okay uh, we and, are way far yeah, afield now yeah we are we are we are but uh yeah we watched uh once tarantino upon a time, feet yeah we watched once upon a time in hollywood on uh stars which we get through amazon, amazon prime, prime. Uh, it may be available other places for no additional fee, uh, but you can also rent it on all the usual places. So, tell me, what else have you been watching, reading, listening to? Okay, so for ages, um, in the Hulu banner that comes across the top of the screen, um, there has been Untouchable, which is a documentary about... Harvey Weinstein, Me Too, the scandal, the charges, mm -hmm. the offenses, all the things. So I finally broke down and um, watched it, streamed it on Hulu. Um, it is triggering. It is disturbing. It's nauseating. It's important. And um, I mean, you know, I, I have said on this podcast before, I worked for over 30 years in a predominantly male-dominated industry, mm -hmm. and I, everybody's got a story. Every woman has a story. Mm -hmm. And it's not just women who have stories. I know that, that men undergo and experience um, objectification and sexual harassment by all genders, and, you know, because sometimes people are just gross and they're mean and um, people in power um, sometimes when they go unchecked they think that they can just get away with victimizing other people um, I'm glad I watched it um, there's a lot of really interesting um, information that I hadn't heard before um it's for it was um it came out in 2019 so it's a few years old there may have been you know things that have come out since then but um untouchable harvey weinstein story on hulu watch it i was listening to a podcast episode and i don't remember which one it was which podcast it was uh but they were talking about how on his first film, the, a film that, like, he didn't produce it. He wasn't the Harvey Weinstein that we think of, the founder of Miramax and, uh, and uh, the Weinstein brothers. Mm -hmm. um, he was just getting started, both he and his brother. Uh, and, like, he was, I forget, it's, it's some cheap horror movie. Um, and 
he uh, was pulling that his usual stunt of inviting a young woman up to his hotel room. Oh, the re- the recorded audio. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of the Italian actress. Um. Yes. Uh, I've heard that. Um. Uh, and uh, Ronan Farrow has a podcast all about how the effort yeah. to stop him from writing the story by NBC. Um. Yes, and Ronan Farrow is in this documentary as well. Okay. Uh, but even on his first film, when nobody knew who he was, he was pulling because that. he had a little bit of power. He, he got away he, with it. He invited somebody who was like a costume person or a uh, script supervisor or something up to his hotel room for a meeting, and showed up at the door wearing a bath towel, <sighs> and you know tried to get a massage. You know, like the, and, yeah. and I wish somebody would just have kicked him in the privates. That would have maybe slowed that <laughs> down a little bit, especially at the beginning. But anyway. Anyway. Uh, but yeah. Um, Untouchable? Is that what you said? Untouchable, it's yes. Okay. It's on Hulu. Yes. Uh, any, uh, you've been reading the... <gasps> okay. So I finished the novel, The Handmaid's Tale, and... Oh my God, so good. Mm-hmm. Um, Margaret Atwood, freaking brilliant. Um, even describing dark, disturbing stuff, her prose is so lyrical and so beautiful. So anyway, I have started The Testaments, which um, came out in 2019. It is the sequel to Handmaid's Tale, and it takes place 15 years into the future. And it is told from the points of view of several of the players from The Handmaid's Tale, um, and it just, like, what I read today, it just got, like, a major twist thrown into the plot, and now I'm like, ooh, what's going to happen now? <laughs> so, I like, I checked it out yesterday. I'm already halfway through. So, it's flying by. It's terribly good. I have also started Lindsay Lynch's debut novel, Do Tell, which is um, about gossip and a bit of Me Too, actually, in Golden Age Hollywood. Um, It begins taking place in 1939, and um, big movie studio is, you know, prominently in play, and um, quite good so far. Really, really enjoying it. So, like, I'm double dipping into the fictions right now. Okay. Look at me being all like multitasky. <laughs> so anyway, that's that's what I'm up to. Uh, really, the only thing that I'm watching that isn't stuff we've already talked about, like Strange New Worlds or Secret Invasion or stuff like that. Uh, you and I started a new true crime show on Discovery Plus called Sex and Murder. Oh, talk talk about twisty. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and as the name implies, uh, there is some sexual component to uh, either the connection between the killer and the killed um, or some sort of, well, no, that's about it. Um, In the first episode, a young woman meets a guy through a dating app. They go to a uh, Seattle Mariners baseball game, Mm -hmm. and she's never seen again. Um, And then you find out all this stuff when he is being questioned that he's homeless, that he's a drunk. Um, he's got problems. And how 
I mean, he presents himself as this as this handsome, clean-cut, nice guy on his dating profile, but he's not. Not. Um, and you know, there's it's it's just messed up. Mayhem ensues. Yes. And the latest one we watched is about a woman uh, who was twice divorced, had three children, uh, raising them alone, mm-hmm. had three, uh, you know, side hustle type businesses. Which uh, she had that, cobbled together into like full-time work. She yes. was a pampered chef salesperson um, and she did another couple of yes. um, things. But she goes missing um, after uh, a uh, a picnic date with her first husband. They're, they seem to be on the verge of reconciliation. They're rekindling. But as her disappearance is investigated, it is discovered that she has a secret. And I shall leave it at that. Uh, yeah, but it's a sex thing. Yeah. Because it's a, it's sex also a and sex murder. Thing. Yes, hence, hence the name. Yeah. So uh, I've enjoyed the four episodes we've watched so far. Enjoyed may be a strong word. Four or three? Uh, three or uh, three. Uh, three. Uh, I've enjoyed what we've seen so far and, and am looking forward to watching more. Yeah, twisty and sorted. Really um, good. And the the recreations, they don't use a lot of them. It's mostly for like getting an idea of where the events took place. Uh, and a lot of them are brief. And like uh, the the people who are playing the actual people in the story at least so far, have been like shown out of focus and you get a suggestion of what's happening that you don't really see. Yeah, the primary focus is on family members, friends of um, the people, the players in the story, um, law enforcement and um, attorneys. Yes. Uh, and that's uh, the bulk of the thing, and it really gives it some gravitas and some substance. It was originally a headline news uh, show; may still be running on there. Uh, these are all relatively recent cases, and um, or at least their conclusions are relatively recent, and uh, within the last four or five years. Um, and I. You know, I I like the way it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will be watching more of them, I assume, later yeah. on, unless you're bored with it. No, I concur. I'm liking how they're how they're made and put together. I like the stories that they've chosen so mm-hmm. far. I like the whole angle of of you know there being some kind of um, sexual component yes. to In- the story. Intimate partner violence um, is something that quite frankly scares me to death uh, and scares a lot of uh, especially women to death because um, y- you know you never know when the guy you meet at, out at the grocery store or at the bar or on the app might be a psychopath. Um, you, yeah. you don't know. Well, and, and even, you know, intimate partners who have been in relationships for years, mm-hmm. um, married, engaged, cohabiting, what have you, um, intimate partner violence is rampant. Oh, yeah. 
Um, and so as, yeah, it is terrifying. And as I've heard said, um, a man, when a woman says no to, how does it go? When a man says no to a woman, a man has a fear of rejection, a woman has a fear of death, you know, something along that line when, yeah. when there's, uh, anybody when a says no. Yeah. It, it, it's just, there's so much rapiness yes. and stabby, jabby, Yes. Pokey murderiness. Okay. It's, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that is Sex and Murder. It's on Discovery Plus. And we watched all 11 episodes of The Center Seat, 55 Years of Star Trek. Oh my God, so good. And it's a wonder any of these shows or movies ever got made. Yeah, there was a lot of sausage making behind this whole yeah, process. There, there was a, a lot of, you know, cobbled together scripts and last minute, um, you know, changes and uh, behind the scenes uh, drama between the actors sometimes. And uh, the biggest mistake they ever made was letting William Shatner direct Star Trek V. Um, and uh, it, it's... It is really a warts and all kind of look at the Star Trek franchise, especially on TV. They don't go too much past the original series movies. They don't really talk too much about the next-gen movies yeah. or the Kelvin Universe movies. But um, it's if you're a Star Trek fan, it is a fascinating look at how this series that even after cancellation became more popular uh, syndicated to local stations and was going to be the flagship of a Paramount network um, back in the 70s that they then decided to make a feature film out of when the Paramount network didn't quite uh, work out mm -hmm. and then became one of the shows became flagship of the actual Paramount, Paramount Net Network, Network, UPN, uh, which was, again, cobbled together from uh, a bunch of uh, not very looked at TV stations. Um, and it's, it's just amazing that it has survived the way it has and, of course, now is on new, new series or on Paramount Plus. So yep. it is... Uh, Oh, and how we can all thank Lucille Ball uh, for uh, the fact that Star Trek exists at all. Outside the, the mind of Gene Roddenberry, yes, yes. because she, um, she basically financed it. She went into hawk on it, yeah. as it turned out. Uh, so that is The Center Seat, 55 Years of Star Trek. We streamed it on Amazon Prime. It's 11 episodes, I think. It was either a History Channel or one of those channels type uh, series. Yeah, and since now it's um, it's a few years old, but yeah, well, it's yeah. not you know stale by any stretch. No, um, really, really good. Really enjoyed it, and they talked to a lot of the people, not only the stars but also the people who 
you know, wrote the scripts or did the special effects or whatever. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's to quote Mr. Spock, fascinating. It is fascinating. So give that a look if you're a Star Trek fan. Uh, anything else from you? Nope. It's my turn next week. No, I have no idea. I didn't think so. I wasn't even going to ask. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Comedy Tragedy Marriage. Got off to a bumpy start. Uh, but uh, we we pulled it together in the end as best as we could. Uh, thank you for listening, subscribing, rating, reviewing on whatever podcast platform you choose. Spotify helps us the most. Uh, please uh, send us your suggestions for something you want us to watch. Send it to comedytragedymarriage at gmail.com. Tell us what it is you want us to watch and why you think we should watch it. And who knows, maybe we will listen, uh, maybe you can listen to us talk about it in a very fragmented style on an, uh, an upcoming episode of Comedy, Tragedy, Marriage. I'm Stan the Movie Man. That's Maude the Movie Broad. Love you. Love you. And until next time. Later. later.